What's happening, weirdos? This is the incredible Zach Cherry. I've been such a fan of his for many years. Uh, I have been missing him. He played my manager. Uh, we discussed this, who we affectionately called Chicken Wing. Uh, although I don't think we could remember his real name. We think it might be Kevin. Uh, <laughs> in Crashing, all three seasons of Crashing, he blew us away with how funny he is and what a great improviser he is. So we brought him into so many episodes through all three seasons. And he's currently on my favorite new show and my favorite show in recent memory, to be honest, which is Severance on Apple TV, directed by Ben Stiller. Incredible, incredible. The way I like to sell it to people is I go, it fills a gap in my psychological vocabulary. Meaning when I want to talk about what it's like that 95% of behavior is unconscious, which is a true fact, 95% of our actions, we don't know why we're doing them because it's in our unconscious mind. Severance is such a perfect metaphor, allegory. It's a meta, let's say it's a metaphor for that type of thing. So when I'm thinking about how my mind works, how my feelings work, how my behavior works, uh, watching Severance has helped me understand just how mysterious and strange and funny and eerie it really is to be human. That's, That's how I watch it. There's a lot of ways to watch it. I find it to be very, very funny, very dark, very interesting. And, and very funny and entertaining as well. And Zach is hands down one of my favorite, favorite parts of the show. So I'm so glad uh, we have him on. Check him out on Apple TV on Severance Now. A couple things to plug up top. Uh, Me-wise, the next Largo date is April 22nd. That's a theater here in Los Angeles. The last one, thank you to everyone who came out. We had Maggie May, David Spade, John Mulaney, James Adomian, Kyle Dunnigan, myself. We almost always have musical guests as well. Phoebe Bridgers has done it in the past, Bo Burnham. They're always, always, always fun. Largo is just one of those places you can get a ticket to any show, and it's always going to be awesome. But if you'd like to see me and a bevy, I'm going to say bevy, of people like those I just mentioned and more, uh, please come out on April 22nd if you're in the L.A. area. Go to largo-la.com, and you'll see it in the calendar on April 22nd. The next night, I'll be in Austin. Uh, it's the only tour date I have, like proper tour, like getting on a plane and flying. April 23rd, I will be performing in Austin for one night only, one show only, part of the Moon Tower Comedy Fest. So hope to see some Austin weirdos out there. It would mean so much to to get to hang out with you again and do some comedy together. Um, also, if you like this show, as you know, we don't do traditional ads in the sense uh, we only sponsor or we're only sponsored by things that I actually use and actually love. And this is very apropos because it's very hot today and I'm in my t-shirt and my MeUndies. Yep, they're skulls. <laughs> it's like pink and, and like kind of a salmon red skull pattern. And I love my MeUndies. It's one of my favorite things in the morning is picking out what print. I always do the, the, the kind of funky ones. I don't do plain. I'm not a plain guy. I like funky. And, and they don't disappoint. I love their patterns. And you have to ask yourself at a certain point, have you ever stepped out of the shower and realized that your absolute fave pair of underwear is dirty? And, and uh, hold on, actually all your underwear is dirty? And oh, oh, oh no, you, you're about to go on vacation. And you don't have a single pair to pack? First of all, samesies. Second of all, it doesn't have to be this way. When you have a free to join membership with MeUndies like I do, 
you watch your undie anxiety melt away. I love getting my MeUndies. It's, it's slipped under my door. That's how, how we get our mail at our house. In a nice little envelope, uh, like a plastic Ziploc bag. Take it out. Boom. What pattern is it? Boom. How do they fit? Perfect. How do they feel? Perfect. I love getting new undies in the mail. I didn't know I would like it. I really, really do. The MeUndies membership is literally designed to make your life easier. It certainly makes my life easier. And with free shipping and returns on every order, savings on virtually everything they make, e exclusive sales, and early access to their newest stuff, there's no reason, sort of, not to join. New prints drop monthly, so there's always something new to see, but you can always skip delivery for a month or even cancel any time, no questions asked. Seriously, you gotta do you. So get super soft undies, bralettes, or socks shipped right to your door and live a more comfortable life knowing you always have what you need at your fingertips when you step out of the shower and you're about to go on vacation. Or maybe you're just getting ready for work. MeUndies also has a great offer for our weirdos, for listeners, for any first-time purchasers. You get 15% off, and for a limited time, if you sign up for their free-to-join MeUndies membership, you get 25% off your first membership item. So to get 25% off your first membership item or 15% off your first order and 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com weird. That's MeUndies.com weird and show your support of this show. Speaking of incredible clothing, our friends at Everlane are a sponsor of the show. I just got a new navy polo from Everlane. I was wearing it on some of my TV appearances promoting how we roll. Super excited about how well it fits. Super excited about how comfortable it is. But most of all, super excited about how it looks. But forget all that. Forget all that. I'm excited that I'm buying my clothes from a company that is in line with my values and your values matter. When you stick to what's important to your very core, it shows in everything you do and Everlane is a company that's doing just that. They are committed to doing the right thing from start to finish. That means partnering with ethical factories to ensure every piece of clothing looks and feels great for years to come. They are some of the highest quality pieces that I own, some of the best looking pieces that I own. And what stands out about their approach is just, first of all, that they have an approach. So many companies, it's just about the bottom line, who will do it the cheapest, and often that's a, that's a heartbreaking approach. It's, it's a devastating and dehumanizing approach. But they have a dedication to ethical factories, designing timeless clothes with quality materials, with transparency and production costs for every item. You heard me right. They are open about what it costs to make and what they charge. I've literally never seen anything like this online, brick and mortar, it doesn't matter. Everlane is truly one of a kind and they have industry leading partnerships. They researches, like I said, the factories to find producers championing, championing, excuse me, worker empowerment and improving environmental impact. For example, fair wages, reasonable hours, recycling water, using renewable energy, or repurposing their byproducts. The Everlane team visits each factory often and builds strong relationships with their owners. So if you want some of the best looking, best feeling, best fitting clothes, in my case that I have ever owned, literally good enough and way good enough to wear on late night TV as I'm doing my press, something that you can feel proud about for a date night, for work, for whatever you got going on. They also have some incredibly comfortable sweatshirts that I rock around the house. 
And if you want to do things differently from your core to your closet, shop Everlane. Go to Everlane, E-V-E-R-L-A-N-E dot com slash weird and sign up for 10% off your first order. That's 10% off your first order when you go to Everlane dot com slash weird and sign up. Everlane, ethically made, sustainably sourced. And obviously, you'll be showing your support of this podcast. Last but not least, one of the OG uh, Pete's picks is... Alpha Brain from our friends at Onnit. This is one of the biggest game changers in my life. I've been taking it for nearly a decade at this point. It supports memory and focus. Alpha Brain is a nootropic, which means it's fish food for your noggin, basically. It's earth grown ingredients. It is not a stimulant. It is not like caffeine. It doesn't get you all jittery. It just gives your brain the earth grown nutrition that it needs in order to focus and work and create. For the past 10 years almost now, I haven't done stand up, podcast, written a script had a meeting, had a Zoom call, or even gone on a date with Val without taking two or three Alpha Brain 15 minutes beforehand. I swear, swear, swear by this. I've had fans come up to me and ask me if I have Alpha Brain in my pockets, and they're always pleased to see that I really do have Alpha Brain in my pocket of my jackets. Because if I'm if I'm doing something like Colbert, I did Colbert last week, and I don't have my Alpha Brain, I, I, I sort of panic. It's never happened. <laughs> <laughs> but I would. It's never happened because I have it in my bag, I have it in my car, I have it in my carry-on, and I have it in my clothes. That is how important this stuff is to me. It, it Like I said, it's it's a wonderful, focused feeling. It's not a jittery up. There's no stimulation to it. It's just that wonderful feeling of having complete and total access to your brain and your creativity, and specifically your language centers. And that's so important when you're trying to communicate or something uh, in your work involves communicating with others alpha brain i can say firsthand makes a huge huge difference uh i literally like american express don't leave home without it that's what i'm saying if you want to try it if you like it one tenth as much as i do you're gonna you blow your mind go to on it o-n-n-i-t dot com slash weird and you will get 10 percent off everything you see on that uh, landing page Plus, you will be showing your support of the show, which means so much to us. That's onit.com slash weird and give it a try today. All right, everybody. One last plug. Please watch how we roll. <laughs> we are right in the clutch. We're right in the moment where the network is really looking at our numbers. And I really, 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 really love this show. And I love making this show. I love my cast. I love the crew, the writers, the creators, everybody. I so badly want to get to do it again. So please don't wait for it to, uh, you know, the whole season to be out and watch it on Paramount+. Plus. You can watch it on Paramount+, Plus, by the way. But Watch it as it airs. It makes a huge difference. They're counting those numbers. It's on Thursday nights, 9.30 p.m. on CBS after ghosts. Uh, so please check it out. How We Roll would mean so, so much to me. And in the meantime, enjoy my chat with the wonderful, the talented, the one of a kind, Zach Cherry. Get into it. I look like shit. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Zach. First thing you hear is me screaming, I look like shit. I'm with you, man. <laughs> no, come on. Look at you. You're a staple. You're a type now. I'm sure that I just took a shower. <laughs> okay, okay. So I'm saying I look slightly cleaner than average. <laughs> um, that's that's hilarious. I also just took a shower, but I look 
I also have COVID-19. Ever heard of it? Yeah, that's <laughs> tough. How you doing? <laughs> COVID-19, the quickest way to make it about you. Uh, <laughs> Zach, I'm glad you just took a shower. I have COVID. Um, no, I think we're, we're at, I think we're out of it. We, we got soup, soups lucky. Really, really lucky. That's good. And I feel great. I just, I'm looking at myself and I'm like, the only thing that's still happening is these waves of, uh, like a, like a, a fever. Like it just, like mm-hmm. it, you'll think it's completely gone. And then for no reason, you'll just be like, uh, and I, I look at myself and I just look wet and Baltic. <laughs> uh huh. That might be, that might be the shower. <laughs> 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 that's so fun i'm so happy that we're doing this yeah i'm so i'm so happy that you said yes and i i haven't seen you in years and i've been it's absolutely been i know and i'm loving everything i know i said this in the email but i'm saying for the people to hear first of all severance is i it, like, this is going to be sound weird maybe but if severance came out in 2011 it would be on the cover of time magazine you know what i'm saying <laughs> like it's it, the same is true for Dope Sick, all these great shows that are coming out uh-huh. that like we just have so many shows. Yeah, there is a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff. There's an embarrassment of riches. But like, is Severance, I'm going to say for me, better than Lost? Yes. And look <laughs> wow. at how much of a big deal we made about Lost. Like to me, it's like a better mystery. It's it's got a better concept and a better feel. It explores. It has it, it has a. It's much more deliberate. Like it seems to know where it's going. I have one more episode, but it's at not just kind of like at least one better actor. One better actor, Zach Cherry. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you know what I'm saying though? Like, do you ever get yeah. that feeling that it's like the same is true for Spider Man, which you were in. Like these those movies are a big deal. But like, if they came out when we were growing up, it would it would stop the universe. Everything would stop and become obsessed with only this. But now it's just one of the many magical diamonds we have in a treasure chest, which is sort of disappointing to me. Because I guess this is a fancy way of saying, why aren't we all screaming about Severance constantly? <laughs> like, I, I wish we were. Yeah, there's not as much like... Uh spot there's not as many shows where like the spotlight is on them you know like yeah. it's it's kind of everyone discovers it in their own little uh you know living rooms or whatever but yeah in I, their I, own I know severed reality like that's yeah. kind of like i sort of feel like i go into my little office of severed watching and i have to find things to watch but like i might like i just started watching well, Dope Sick is a good example. I watched Dope Sick like a year after it was done. So like there's no syncing up with any sort of community. And what yeah. sucks is with Severance, I am finding other people that are watching Severance because I have to talk about it. And, and that's the fun of it. And waiting for it to come out and discussing the spoilers and stuff. Or not the spoilers, but the twists and, and, the, yeah. and the developments is super fun. So I, you know, this podcast... We'll only do a small thing to get people to watch it, but like it's a loss that the whole country isn't going like, what do the numbers mean? Like that would be so yeah. fucking fun. But those that are like myself are really, really enjoying it. So I, I hope you're proud and I hope you're enjoying it. Tell me everything. Yeah, it is really fun. And I, I was like a big lost fan. Like, so I, I 
similarly love that sense of community around the show. And yeah, my friends and I, I think lost like the lot, the final season was airing, I think while I was in college. And so I remember being like home for the summer and all my high school friends would gather at one guy's house and like watch together. That, and, that's me too. That's right. me too. So like, there isn't that same, because even for, even for severance, it's like, it doesn't like, it doesn't air at a time. So there's no like prescribed time that everyone watches it. So you yeah. do miss a little bit of that, but it is fun. I, it's also fun seeing some of the theories. And I also barely know anything more than like the audience. Like I don't, I, I wouldn't think you did like, it would yeah. be weird. Like, cause it doesn't seem like you would need to, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost better that you're just sort of like, I do this because they tell me to and they give me finger traps because that's what they give me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Which is sort of my approach in general. Um, <laughs> I don't ask a lot of questions. I just kind of <laughs> uh, show up and say, all right, what are you doing today? Um, yeah. Yeah. But it is fun reading because sometimes I'll read something, you know, like a friend will send me a link like, is this true or whatever? And I'm like, I don't know, but that's a good <laughs> that would be cool if it was. Uh, yeah. I have to say, well, I wasn't going to burden you with theories. I, I'm 43 now, or I'm about to be 43, and I just don't really care as much in the same way. Like, when I was watching sure. Lost, we were about it. Like, I remember, like, we, we couldn't stop talking about it. I couldn't stop uh, micro-analyzing it. Now, when I watch Severance, I, I can tell I'm 43 because I'm like, wow, Adam Scott, I just call him Adam Scott. Adam Scott uh, sure does drink a lot. Oh, that's one of the ways we sever ourselves. You know what I mean? Like, that's one of the, like, I'm I'm noticing the ways that it reflects back my shadow self more yeah. than I'm going like, I wonder, like, if they die in the yeah. Audi, like, what do they tell the any? Like, like I, I don't right. do that as much. Or like, what is the, the what does John Turturro's dream mean? I'm more letting the experience wash over me. And I think that's why Lost ultimately was so disappointing to the to the diehards. Not, not necessarily to everybody, but one of the things that was frustrating was maybe we should have watched it more like I'm watching Severance and just been like, it's an experience, man. It's like yeah. sometimes there's a smoke monster, but we wanted fucking solidity. But yeah. with this, I, I feel like I'm in good hands. Yeah, I mean, I think so. But I also I have no idea. Like, I don't know. I really don't know. But I do think there there is uh, there is something to just kind of watching it like that where. But it's a different experience. Like some people really get into the like like for some people, the fun of it is the like almost fan fiction aspects of it. And like, you know, creating their own version of the story. Um, And then maybe that leaves you open to being disappointed. But. Uh, <laughs> yeah, th- that's the risk. That's the risk of true love, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay, I, let's talk. I want to talk about one thing. Like, if anybody hasn't seen the show, you can skip ahead like a couple minutes because I, I do want to talk. Like the girl that uh, the woman. Forgive me. I don't know the characters' names. Again, I'm 43. I just I can't <laughs> hold names. <laughs> I go. Well, the I woman. I know their names, so I can help with that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. The, the the young woman who the actor her name is Britt Lauer. She's incredible. And her character Helly. Helly, that's right. Helly, of course. See, it's one of those things where I would know it if you were like, it's Jennifer. I'd be like, I don't think it's Jennifer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I think it's something. 
But she does something that the show doesn't really shine much of a light on, which is she, which is kind of elegant and, and uh, restrained, which is she hangs herself in the elevator, mm-hmm. but she does it, correct me if I'm wrong, but she does it so that her Audi dies, not her. Is, is that what's going on? Yeah, I think I think she wants her Audi to like experience that and realize because there's a there's a moment later where she says, like, I want to I want to drain the life from my Audi and I want her to know it was me or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so, I, yeah, I, I do think that is what's going on there. But you're right. It, they don't really like pinpoint it, which is, again, like a phenomenon of this postmodern post lost like t- like TV back in the day would have been like. Like Adam Scott or you or Totoro would have looked at her and been like, oh, my God, she did it. So her Audi would have died, not her. And like yeah. we cut to black and, you know, Rolling Stones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is it? Sympathy? Sympathy for the devil. Man, I am in a I'm in a COVID fog. Let's just roll with it. Here's a question <laughs> you can answer. Seize two. Um, that's also a question I can't answer. You can't. Um, ho- ho- I don't know. Hopefully. Uh, oh, you don't. But, oh, you don't know. It's not something yeah. that you were told not to talk about. No, no, truly, uh, truly, don't know. What? I mean, I would, I would think yes, but but who knows? You never know. You never know. You know. You know what's funny? Uh, my my <laughs> my experience in like this industry was I when I was on crashing, you know, I was initially just supposed to be there for like an episode. And then you were like, oh, that was so fun. Like, you know, we'll try and bring you back. And then you actually did and brought me <laughs> back a bunch. And then that set me up to assume that that was the norm. And oh then, my god! And as I've gone on, I've learned that no, usually everything fails, and no one, you know, like you don't get to come back and et cetera, right. et cetera. Usually, when so people now, say we'll have you back, it's like a it's a nicety, like they're lying right. to you. Yeah, right, exactly. And so now I'm just like, you know, maybe it'll happen. Hopefully, we'll get a season two. Who knows? Um, but I was I was set up to believe that. <laughs> Everything anyone says to you is true and you will always. Hilarious. um, Yeah. Was crashing. I don't even remember. Was it like a a break for you? Was it like a first break? Uh, Yeah, it was pretty, pretty big. Yeah, for sure. Like I I had done a couple little things before, but nothing really recurring. I don't think. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think it was my first like recurring thing. Well, I remember it really, really well. First of all, what you're what you're noticing is how Judd does so many things, which is with an openness to continue what works. Like uh, the same is true for George, uh, George Basil. Mm-hmm. The same is true for every character, actually. But like when Judd saw, and this is why we would never have the whole season written even while we were shooting, when Judd saw how much fun it was when you and I were on screen or when George and I were on screen, then he would be like, well, that's how it should end. It should The season should end with you and George stuck together. Mm-hmm. And that was never the intent until like that. Like in the pilot, sorry to make this fan fiction or, you know, a, a deep dive for crashing. George says we're going to Tampa like we're leaving. <laughs> And, like, I remember thinking, like, are they? And I'm pretty sure they were just going to go to Tampa. (laughs) 
yeah. And then, like, you watch it and, and you get a feel and, and you get picked up and all that stuff. And you're like, well, these guys can't go to Tampa. Like, we have to have them come back. So what I remember about yours was, um, I remember, I think we found your picture on the UCB website. Is that maybe true? <laughs> I, I, I remember hearing that, yes. It's, it's a crazy... You know, I, I, if it's something you want to do, I'm sure you will do. And when you are casting your own show, if that's something that you aspire to, you'll see people casting shows often are just, it, it would be exactly as if you and I right now were like, let's cast a sketch or let's uh-huh. cast anything that we were thinking about. What do you do? You just kind of like surf around. And <laughs> yeah. when you're in New York, you're like, well, who are the improvisers in New York? Okay. Where's the place for improv in New York? UCB. At least it used to be. UCB used to be. Is yeah. it still? Uh, well, right now it doesn't really have a presence. Uh, currently, you know, they kind yeah. of shut down for during COVID and, and haven't made a comeback. Um, but uh, so currently, no. Uh, but yes, at the time, it was very much the spot and where I well, was there- doing it mostly. There you go. I, I want to get into, I've been blabbing a lot here up top. I often do because I'm excited, but I want to get into your whole story. Before we do, let's start with unpacking this, this crashing experience because we did see your picture yeah. on yeah. that. You came in an audition. Um, not, did you audition with me or did you just audition on tape? I think on tape. Yeah. I think it was on tape too. And then I got there and this is the pilot. So this is like, we got it. We got to do it, guys. Like, there's so much pressure yeah. in making a pilot, and uh, luckily, Judd was directing it. Mm-hmm. And your scene, more than any scene, so the scene is in Crashing. I do an open mic, and you are a character uh, who, in the first script, was probably just named uh, Manager. I don't know what your name would. It doesn't matter. I think it was Man. It was like Andy or something. <laughs> originally <laughs> like when i auditioned uh yeah i remember it was it was just sort of a random name yeah you were supposed to be like the gatekeeper of an open mic which is one of the most fascinating power dynamics there is to me is a new york city room the size of of eight phone booths that sucks and yet there's a high status snarky sort of guy or woman or person that runs it, that lords their power over people. And this was sort of maybe a little bit in the script. But what I was going to say was that scene that we shot where you are sort of like big dogging me and sort of, I remember you asked me how my car does on ice, which I thought was so funny. (laughs) That scene was the most what I imagined being directed by Judd Apatow would be uh, maybe of the whole Mm -hmm three seasons that scene where he was there. Do you remember? He, tell me, tell me your recollection of it. I, I do remember because I was, I was like such a huge, like I was like Judd obsessed, you know, coming up and yeah. like would listen and watch so many like behind the scenes things about how he made his movies and how like he would just like call out, you know, alts and stuff and like yeah, make yeah, tweaks. Yeah. And I yeah. remember on the day we were shooting that, Initially, he was like in Video Village, like at the monitor kind of watching. And then at one point he came and got like right behind the camera and was like 
calling some stuff out. And I was like, whoa, it's happening. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was very That's exactly very how cool. I felt. That's exactly yeah. in that moment. Because I, I think he he might have even was like, do you have snow tires? So he's yelling things out and you're saying them. Yeah. And, you, and then at a certain point, both you and I are trying not to laugh. And I also remember becoming obsessed with how you ate the chicken wings because you you did them in you were doing everything so slow, which I just thought was such an interesting choice, <laughs> which is also a big dog choice. Like you're kind yeah. of doing it deliberately and kind of accenting your sentences like the period to every sentence would be a bite of a, a yeah. slow bite of a chicken wing. And I, I found that to be the funniest thing in the world. Which is why that moment on your character was called Chicken Wing in the scripts. Yes. For, yes. for, for just because of the first scene, this guy's now called Chicken Wing. Even though you did have, you did have a name, which I'm embarrassed. Eventually it became, I think, Brian. Brian. Is that possible? Maybe not. That might be a different one. This is like Heli. I don't think it was Brian, but it might have been. I, look, man, I got COVID nineteen. Like, yeah, let's, I don't let's know. just be real about yeah, it. Yeah, you have COVID, so I'm my upper ask. my upper lip is sweating. Everything is fine. Um, I now before that moment, you were doing improv, but let's actually because I'm super interested in you, like especially seeing you most recently in Severance, and then all the things you like I said you've been popping up in, and how much I loved working with you on Crashing. I couldn't be more interested in just like your specific journey into comedy and i think people like stories like that i'd love to go back as as far as you can like with your family what was the family dynamic when did you start putting on the tap shoes or, or you know twirling yeah. the cane like when did it hit you that you were like i what what made you want to make people laugh and like when did you start doing it yeah i don't know you know i don't I don't remember super very early is the, is the short answer. I remember always kind of like doing weird little performances and like, you know, uh, wanting attention, <laughs> um, yeah. that kind of thing. I also remember like, I think for quite a while when I was young, like I, I knew, I knew, I didn't always know why people were laughing, but I knew I liked it. And so I would kind of just be like, oh, this is just something that I was doing anyway, because I was like a weird little kid. But then I saw that people like laugh and I was like, oh, OK, let me just do that again. Kind of like just that, uh, I don't know, like feedback loop <laughs> or of whatever. Of course. I um, mean, if you're like me, I, I remember feeling, why isn't everyone obsessed with this? Like, but it, it did come from... Like, it doesn't even have to be a sad sack story. I just remember it being hard to get uh, attention from my whole family. Everybody sort of has their, their own thing going on in my family. Yeah. Um, like, they're, the, they're, they're all living their own stories, which is okay. Um, but as a result, I was like, where am I? So I needed to use it to, like, like echolocate myself in reality. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, you know, I think I don't remember even specifically like I think also I was for the most part and I still kind of am like this like I'm a fairly quiet guy and like when I'm not, you know, performing or or doing whatever I'm kind of like I live my own little internal mental life and 
I was a big reader as a kid. So I think I probably sometimes did need like a way to grab attention because otherwise I was very much like, you know, I don't need I would kind of kept to myself and didn't ask for anything and didn't want to bother people. But then that was sort of maybe my way to be like, hello, like sometimes I need you to like look over here or whatever. Um, it was a bridge. It was it was like we can't just retreat into ourselves. I relate to that. Yeah, maybe. But the, and then pretty quickly it it turned into like actual like performing. Like I I remember in fourth grade we had an operetta that we did, like a original work written by one of our teachers, who <laughs> n- now knowing probably was like a twenty three year old who just like you know slapped this seemed thing together. Really, yeah. But they seem no ancient idea. at the time, and they seem professional at the time. Yes, yes. very. Where where um, are we, Zach? Where is this happening geographically? This is in New Jersey. Okay. United States of America. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Eastern time. Uh, so, yeah, once that started, and then also I got into improv very young. There was a summer camp also in New Jersey. It was like a performing arts summer camp, but then... They had um, you could take electives in the afternoon and they had like an improv elective and a comedy elective. And I don't remember, but I would just basically do like all the improv stuff. I I got super like sucked into improv. Um, Why do you remember? Was it I remember liking that you didn't have to prepare like that excited me as opposed to like acting, which was like learn these words and maybe I won't understand the words improv. I was like, Oh, I can just say the words that I know (laughs) for sure. And it also, I mean, what I like about it now and probably at the time is also that like your expectations are allowed to be fairly low going in. So you don't, the key, you don't have to, there's, you don't have to feel a lot of pressure, like going into a show or whatever. It's like, well, this might be bad, but, whatever you know like it's why it doesn't work in my opinion so often when they try and make the jump to tv is you're like no tv is you know you filmed it you had a chance to edit it like the magic is gone you need you need to be right on the edge of like this could be a not just a terrible show but this is my night and it's my life and it might suck and and then that motivates you to maybe laugh at something a little bit harder to give them that encouragement, give them that fuel. And then, and then before you know it, everybody's saved, you know? And you, you get to experience, you get to like watch people kind of write it in real time when you're there. But when you tape it, yeah, it does lose uh, some magic. Cause you're like, well, they, yeah, they already did this, you know, <laughs> it already happened. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't want to watch a party that already happened. Right. You know? It's like yeah. watching an old sports game. Like, Exactly. There, there could be there's sometimes cool stuff and you're like, oh, I, I like this, but it's not the same. You know, it's yeah. And it's you know what else it's like if we could all watch Severance at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, you want to know that all across the country, everyone's finding out that thing we found out about your character. OMG, um, for example, spoils. No spoils. I spoiled no the spoils. one thing, but that's like episode three or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you warned. You warned people. I warned. I warned. I warned. Yeah. Um, but all right. So you you were saying that you agree with me that you were drawn to improv because it didn't need uh, preparation. Yes. Anything else? 
mo- mostly because I was I was immediately good at it. Um, like as a child, I, it just like happened to be something I was good at. And I like, you know, as a kid, you're like looking for your thing. That's like, ooh, like this is my thing. Um, and, uh, you know, I was like, I don't know. I just yeah, I immediately was like, oh, I get this. Like I. I don't know. Something just clicked with me. And I, I remember. I remember that feeling too. I, I mean, not to be like, oh, I was good at it too, but like the feeling of being young and going, wait, in this place, it's valuable and celebrated that I can go in any direction and do anything. Like I could, I could be a horse or I could smoke a fake cigarette or I could fall <laughs> down a manhole or I could say, watch out for that ladder. And everyone like, <laughs> It's that sort of lack of focus that I had in school was now my superpower, which, by the way, is how genius, how talent, how everything in that and everything in between genius and talent, how it works. It comes from like usually something that's messing you up in other ways. Like I'm not I can't focus in math, but like now you're saying my inability to stop thinking about pirates is is a is a virtue. Right. Do, <laughs> yeah. do you relate? Yeah. Yes, very much. Like, and also, you know, w- one of the skill sets in improv is like paying attention and kind of being like, hold on, this doesn't, this doesn't make sense. Like, let's kind of get into that, you know? Right. And that's definitely something I, I did as a kid. Like I was, I was a big questioner of like, wait, huh? Like this is the the rule. Like why, you know, like, right. And in improv, doing that and breaking the rules was rewarded. Like you were saying, like, I think and I remember in this class, like you just, there, they were, we played a lot of short form improv games. So there's very specific rule sets, but I remember as a kid realizing like, but the point is to make this funny, not to follow the rules. So I would sometimes kind of intentionally you know, do what they told me not to do. Like the, the instructor would be like, don't do this. And I would immediately do it. And that would be rewarded. And so that's like a great, a great feeling. Like you were saying of like, oh yeah, this thing that normally people are annoyed with now they're like, wow, good job. That is, I mean, you're, you're helping me understand and articulate something that I love about all comedy, which is one, it's a way of, building reality and it's also a way of uh thumbing your nose at reality in sort of like a in a well-meaning way it's to delight and entertain but you're kind of like if you're going like i don't understand why lunch is 30 minutes like that's (laughs) like one of my big things is i don't understand why podcasts are 60 minutes like it's Mm -hmm. just you and me talking why can't we talk for 67 minutes like if you have that kind of brain, you'll always have a game to play in improv, which is if someone's like, we got to get on, we got to get on the fire truck. And you're like, why? I don't understand. Like, I, yeah. I don't want to get Like, you, there's always an attitude to play. Or as you're saying with your teacher, I don't understand. Like, that's ridiculous. I'm going to go the opposite way. And in my experience, the best teams, like you see um, Middleditch and Schwartz, uh, break their own rules constantly but you know that you're safe in the same way that when Jackson Pollock is painting with, with drips, you know that he started classically 
and that that you're in that you're in good uh, hands. He's in control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rules the rules do need to be there for breaking them to be fun. Otherwise, it would be <laughs> no different than like. So you know, not everyone can be the the like rule breaker, or else the rule breaker it doesn't mean anything. But right. But yeah, it 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 is fun to do that in in improv. That, by the way, is my problem with Vegas. It's not like you want to really feel the thrill of being alive. Get uh, really drunk and drink a long Mai Tai in St. Paul, Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) You're just you're actually following the rules by breaking the rules in Vegas by being nuts. Like, that's why growing up super uh, religious that was really thrilling. I, I've actually thought that like Christians, fundamentalists, actually have like a pretty erotic uh, uh, side because they believe they're going to go to hell for right. wanting to touch a booby, and yet they do. Like that is, it's like some Madame Bovary shit. Like that's like Pride and Prejudice. Like I just have to do it. Like like if you just grew up with two poet parents wearing berets and smoking cigarettes right. in a kitchen, uh, like who cares that you, that you were sexual? Like yeah. the Minnesotan that that's getting, uh, wild is way wilder than, than the person in Vegas getting wild. And it's the same with improv. Yes. And I did, you know, I, I also grew up pretty religious. Um, oh, did we you? were, a, yeah, yeah. We were, a, we were a church going fam. Um, and I do remember that is some of the first places where I started like comedically questioning things. I remember I have a distinct memory of being told at a young age that like in heaven, everyone like sings praises to God and plays like trumpet all the time. And I was like, that sounds awful. Like, I don't want to go to heaven if I have to just like, see, like, that's my least favorite part of church. This is a nightmare. And then I started being like, that, that literally is like where, where some of this started for me Buddy, being told that that was what heaven was. I don't think it's uh, a coincidence that you and I both were drawn to comedy after having been told fantastical uh, ideas. Let's just call them ideas. Um, with certainty by grownups who were not themselves certain, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, like, like begging for little Zach Cherry to go like, what? We yeah. just sing all day. Like what? And, and, you know, I always quote that Bill Burr has amazing bits about heaven and hell. And he's like, how could it be heaven? If you know your dad is in hell, you know, like, like where's yeah. dad? Like, you know, dad never went to church. Dad's not here. Is dad in hell? It's like, quiet, we're doing he is exalted. Like, no, like, like there's so many beautiful questions to ask of, I would say, of your nationalism, of your of your religiosity, of, of, of everything, of your gender, of your race, of your uh, like, you're supposed to act this way, this way, this way. It always is funny and it's always interesting to go, why? Even mm-hmm. what you're eating, this is what we eat. Why? Like that is like, we like, I'm not anti-milk. I'm just saying like, we drink this from a, <laughs> a, a wet teat. Like, it's just funny to go, why? 
Like that's it's, always it's, it's, a great. You're starting place. to sound pretty anti-milk, Pete. <laughs> it's uh, time to take a break. Hood.com slash weird will actually add the ten percent to your bill, but uh, you will show your support of the show. Get two percent whole or chocolate, which is rumored to be milk made from over-milked cows that bled into the milk. <laughs> oh no! Oh, have you ever heard that rumor? No, I have. They make chocolate milk out of the contaminated milk. <laughs> <laughs> to hide the color? <laughs> to, hide, to hide the pinkish hue. It's disgusting, and I'm sorry. I, I, I shouldn't have shared that. it. That's Seems like you'd want to go strawberry in that case. Oh, my God! You are the devil! But going back, away from nasty milk uh, urban legends, or maybe it's true, I don't know. I don't know if urban legends are true. Someone's telling you these things Tell me if you or how you relate to that. It's like someone with a straight face is saying uh, these people are going to hell or whatever it might be. That installs in your brain a mechanism to question everything. And that, I think, has serviced your comedy. That seems to be what you were saying. Yes, I think so. And because I do. I also remember as a kid, like that was that was one of the only areas, the religion stuff where like I couldn't figure it out like in other situations if i asked enough questions something would click and you'd be like oh okay like that's why kind of but in that situation i don't really even remember specifics i just remember i was always being like wait huh so you're telling me like this and then this and it often the answer would just be because i said so (laughs) or like because because it says it in the you know in the bible or whatever right right and that that I do think that skill set does like uh, apply to comedy a lot and just life. I, do, you, do you look back? I look back and I'm like grateful there, there was some damage. Don't get me wrong, uh, specifically like, you know, sex shame and sort of feeling dirty or unworthy and fear of hell and all that stuff. That's, that's pretty serious damage. And yet I look back and I'm like, I wouldn't change a thing because I'm grateful that it got me, first of all, wrestling with big questions, which is something that I love now. And I think it's because I have those ties to my youth, but it also just taught me how to engage with grownups and, 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 and uh, debate or inquire or eventually unpack and deconstruct and reconstruct and all these things. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I don't, I don't know that I would uh, change anything just because I don't know. What does that even mean? You know, like, what does that even mean? Who would I be? Who would I be? Et cetera. You know, um, I haven't, I hadn't really, uh, <laughs> I haven't really thought of it. And I'm just kind of like, well, it was what it was. And, you know, I do think it has made me like, it has, pro- if I hadn't grown up, you know, in that way, I may have been now more susceptible to like becoming like getting in a cult or something yeah, or these yeah. kinds of things where like I do I do remember having these moments of questioning and like so now I am skeptical of kind of that type of thing in a way that is possibly healthy now like I'll watch these documentaries like you know about you know what all, all these kind of true crime culty documentaries and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, w- I would have sniffed that out, you know, because oh my God, I, yes, I started to sniff it uh, as a child. 
Do you remember the moment? Did you get in trouble or was there a moment when you were like, I don't, I don't believe this? And, and I, before you answer that, were your parents into it? Yes, my, my parents, but, but not, it, it was never things. My parents weren't the ones who I ever had like issues with their approach to, to Christianity. Like, I, in fact, I think they pretty much have a pretty healthy, like version of it. Um, and are like generally reasonable. I, the, I, there was a moment, which was we were, I was on some type of trip with my youth group and, and one of the, <laughs> one of the guys who was like an assistant counselor or something. And I wasn't even there for this. I was like asleep, but I heard the next day we like woke up and another group had left in the middle of the night. And we were told that it was because this guy, I believe, had started speaking in tongues or something. And we were we were from a more kind of like, uh, I don't know, just kind of non-denominational yes, that type of tradition. Less less wet. Yeah. <laughs> a little dry. So that wasn't that wasn't yeah. a standard operating um <laughs> you didn't have the tongues playbook. Yeah. Right, exactly. So we weren't people weren't ready for that. And I remember being like, all right, I think I think I've had enough of this. Wow! In that in that moment, because someone else spoke in tongues and they and, and people were. Well, yeah. no, he was with our group, and it was like a guy who I like. I I was always just kind of like I don't really vibe with his opinions on things, and then. Oh, you saw it? No, no, I didn't see it. Oh, oh, oh. I was asleep. This happened the next day. Another group on this trip with us left because it was to them too kind of strange <laughs> and I, I i'm pretty sure this would happen i may i may be off on some of the details but this is what i remember so in the middle of the night this other group we were there with was like gone and we were like wait what happened and there were you know it was kind of like some people had been there and some people hadn't or whatever so there was kind of talk through the through the youth group grapevine of, of how it went down and it was that this guy had I think started speaking in tongues in a way that made them uncomfortable. And then I was like, yeah, I don't think, I don't think, uh, I think I'm kind of out on this. But not in like a ghost story scared way. Like you were just like, this is some bullshit. Yeah. Because there, and there could be like, like if I woke up and they were like, half of our party is gone because someone spoke <laughs> in an unknown language from God, I'd be like, I got to play some Super Nintendo. Like, I'm out of here because I, I don't like it. Or you were just like, I can't believe people are believing it. Yeah, it was more, it had been a slow build of like, I had already started being like, I don't know if this is really for me. And then that was the moment where I was like, I, I know, I know, this is not, you know, really for me. <laughs> but I was not scared. No, I was not like, um, I wasn't worried that like locusts were about to rain down on us or anything. I mean, keep an ear out for a settle. Like it could be coming coming on the way. That's really fucking. You, there were people like you in my youth group too, and I remember having awe for them because I was like, "Who are these little grown-ups that are just like, I say no." <laughs> I was just like, I was just eating whatever they gave me. I was like. This will make my mom like me. This will make my dad leave me alone. This will give me an identity. And then I'd pan over to my brother. And my brother was like, 
uh, that uh, just doesn't sound real or whatever. And like, you'd like sneak out early or whatever. It seems like well, you put it together. I don't think I sort of, I don't think I put my foot down uh, openly at that time, but that's when in my head, I was like, I'm kind of done with this. I think I still kind of to, you know, to appease the family continued going to church for another few. I think it wasn't until college really that I was like, or maybe high school that I was like, I'm not really going to, you know, participate in this as much anymore. Yeah. And did they, did your parents, I mean, I remember telling my parents it was, (laughs) it was, it was not, it was not as difficult as I thought it would be because frankly I was in college or I was out of college. I was a grown man, basically. It does not, looking back, I shouldn't have been concerned at all because I didn't, but I didn't yet know that I could have said, I am not going to church anymore. Uh, actually, I do think I said, my mom said, why? And I said, because I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know that that would work. But looking back, of course that would work. What are they going to do? You're 25 years old. Like, yeah, they can't drag you there. Yeah, they were pretty, they were pretty fine with it by that point. Um, and, and, you know, I had, I had already kind of established I was going to do my own thing in various other ways that I don't think it was a big surprise to them that I was like, I'm, I'm kind of done with this. Did the two ever blend your improv camp and your church? Did you ever do like church sketches and stuff? Uh, or I we, think I must. Yeah. Yeah. I think I must have. I remember now I'm not sure I'll have, I'm going to have to like do some fact checking on my own life because <laughs> I have a vague memory of like doing a church performance, but like being too scared and being like at the last minute being like, I don't really want to do this. Um, <laughs> I have a vague memory of that, but not a ton of specific like youth group uh, comedy memories yeah no i i i get that i understand for me it was like one of the safest places to start performing and then and then when you get to you know places like new york you've at least broken in with that you that sweet sweet soft youth group crowd right yeah kind of ready ready to go builds up the, the the confidence absolutely so okay so we'll get back to god stuff later uh I, we're tracking you were shining in improv. You were good at it. Yes. As a, as a maybe 13 year old. Do you remember anything you did? And I'm sure you do that got a, a really big laugh around that age, like a, a, a move or a character or a scene or a go-to thing that just would make people laugh. I do remember. I do remember getting a big laugh by I think repeating something I stole from the Simpsons or something. Um, Oh my God. Of course. It's our first place to dabble in just like, can I say the goggles do nothing? Like, is that like, (laughs) I remember some, it was some sucking and like someone's like this sucks or this blows. And I said, I said something about like, well, does it suck or does it blow? Like you can't do both, or, you know, I don't, but I remember at the time that I hadn't come up with that. I had s- heard someone else do it, but I just like applied it at the right time. 
you know, like yes, in the scene. Yes, and I remember yes. that getting a big, a big pop. That is, that's just what the beginning of comedy is. And that's why it, it can be sort of a shame that uh, so many young performers break or we see everything they've ever done. Like the oh, yeah. anonymity of summer camp. So I could just <laughs> yeah. do Ace Ventura. Even up yeah. into college, I would do a scene and I'd just be Dr. Evil. Like everyone would know yeah. I was doing Dr. Evil, but like you can't just do like do his Macarena dance. Like that's that's sort of out of bounds, you know, at Second City. Yeah. But like you need that incubation period where you can just try on different things. Now you post everything. Now we have a record of you right. being an idiot. Uh, and, right. and stinking, um, which is unfortunate because every I think everybody has to go through some period like that. Yeah, for sure. And it was like, it was, I knew, I think I was like plugged in enough to know that like, well, good comedy works, you know? So like, why would I like say, why would I like say something that I don't know is funny when I can just like, I've oh I've seen God. this work, you know, like this is funny. So like in this scene, I, w I wasn't just pulling it out at random moments. You know, I was kind of like trying to apply it in the times that, oh, yeah. that made sense. But uh, I for sure was just repeating things that I do. You remember bombing? I, because what you just said, we me and my friend Nick Haig, put our hands in our pants, you know, like that thing where you have little legs. And, right, um, right, right. and we, the lights were off and it's in the big bird, which was the, the meeting hall at our camp. And we got in cause they were all named after birds, Zach. We, I, my <laughs> cabin was whippoorwill. <laughs> anyway, I got it. We is got that it. A we put him in. Is that a famous bird? <laughs> it's just a type of bird. And I only oh, know that. Yeah. I only know I that because I stayed in that cabin. Um, I put my arms in that. We thought when the lights came on and they saw us with fake arms tucked into our pockets and our legs in the jeans and our, our hands uh -huh. in the shoes that the place was going to go nuts. The lights come on. No one laughs. And then Zach, you want to talk about, I'm glad we didn't make this a TikTok. I go, hi, I'm Richard Simmons. Like, like just kind of making fun of Richard Simmons, which was, you know, the flavor of the month to do that time. Right. Again, zero. And then there, it was like that thing on The Simpsons where Krusty has the huge ears and the Q-tip on SNL, and he's like, "Ugh, there's seven more minutes of this." Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like there was seven more minutes of us doing that sketch. Sketch. Uh, do you have any memories of not being excellent at improv? Um, not really as a young person because I think a I just have a terrible memory in general, and b this the like expectation like i had to do so little to be seen as good at the time that i, I don't remember bombing a lot once i started like performing at you know in new york and at at ucb yes i i do remember uh bombing often <laughs> um yes in well look, in moments could... and in shows 
You so you're in Jersey, which makes it a little bit, I would guess, easier to just go across the river and, and, and make the plunge and, and still stay in Jersey. Is that what you did? Uh so like I so I no, because I didn't start well, kind of. I, I didn't start doing UCB till after college. So like I was in Jersey, went to school in Massachusetts, where we had an improv team that like performed a lot. What's one cool? of the old uh, Amherst. Okay. And we, one of the, one of the guys who was a senior when I was a freshman, uh, John Timothy, he, he, after he graduated, moved to New York and started doing UCB stuff and would occasionally like come back and kind of like teach us the stuff he had learned in his classes. So then I was like, Oh, okay. So if I want to keep doing improv, that's like where I go. So I sort of, followed him to to new york and then started taking classes there but it definitely was easier that my you know my family was in jersey because for a while i did live at home and and go in and take classes in the city right and then okay so i couldn't be more interested you you started in the classes did you feel the same way that you did in camp like did you have no (laughs) tell me no no in camp i was in camp and I was so I'm sure I'm sure the others now looking back, I'm sure the other students hated me because I was the counselors treated me so insane. They they would have like counselor only scenes, but I was the only student who was allowed to perform in them. Like, oh, my God. That they, they, is <laughs> it's such bad. It's like, why would you do that to me the- and to everyone else? That's the making of a supervillain. Like we we pan into the audience and there's a future Chris Gethard who just hates you and vows his life to destroy you. Yeah. And I was oblivious at the time. I was just like, this is awesome. This like rules. (laughs) I get to perform with like the counselors. But looking back, insane thing to do. And so rude to everyone else there. (laughs) Um, Oh, my God. I was like the golden child. Uh so then when I arrived in New York at UCB, I was not the golden child. Um, so there was, you know, that was a, a different experience. I mean, I'm reading this book. Uh, it's called Iron John. It's by Robert Bly. I'm loving it. And it's about initiation. And there's so many stories where you're the prince, right? And you, you are the golden child. And I relate to this so hard. And then when you get to New York for me and for you, that, um, going into the depths, like you have to fall down. And, and that's why in crashing, handing out the flyers, like it was such an important mm-hmm. step. We didn't cover my improv stuff, but like going into the, into the improv world and not, I just couldn't relate more in college. It was like, I can't believe this guy is here. And then you get to UCB and you realize you're a type like there's other tall, big mouthed white guys that are like, I put a vine in my living room and like that's their big laugh and like no one laughs. And you're just like, oh, no. And that humbling is actually this really good thing. I, I, I know it sounds maybe I sound like an old man, but it's this sort of like necessary and good penance that like you lower your head you realize you're not invincible 
You realize there are people that are better than you and you realize you have a lot to learn and that's what motivates you to learn. Do you relate to that? Yeah, very, very much. And I think I also eventually, and I have to kind of like relearn this all the time, but like, I think I had to become less married to like the result of like it, 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 when I first started doing improv, like every time, every time when I first started doing improv, like in New York, every time I didn't feel like I like <laughs> changed the, the, the game, you know, like if I had a show that was just like, not that good, it was like a awful feeling. Like I was like, Oh mm. my God, I suck. And like, I can't even do this. And like, that person is so funny. And what am I here doing? And I had to eventually kind of be like, well, you know, that's okay. You know, like not every, not every moment has to be your peak. Not every show has to be the best. So that part of it too was big for me of just like still finding ways to enjoy it and learn and like keep doing it. Even when I'm not like feeling like, you know, uh, in the zone every single time I do it. Yeah. Because who could be? I, I remember this is name droppy, but when I did that show with Conan, he told me, he's like, look, some shows I do, he's talking about his, his late night show. I do it and I'm convinced he's being hyperbolic, but he's like, I'm convinced I'm going to be on the cover of New York Times and it's going to be like, Conan, change the format. Like, <laughs> did you see Conan last night? And he's like, and sometimes I do a show and I'm convinced the phone's going to ring and they're going to cancel me. And not only that, but everybody hates me. And he's like, when you wake up after each of those shows and neither of those things happen, uh, there's a true freedom in recognizing that sometimes you have that show and it's gray. Like you get a little tile and it's gray and you put it down on the floor. And then sometimes you get a tile and it's gold and you put it on the <laughs> floor. And then when you zoom out at the end of the career, you see the, the shadows and the gold and it all works together to inform like a fully realized person and performer. But like, I couldn't relate more to the feeling of like, if we're not crushing it, then what the fuck are we? I used to get mad at my improv team because I was in Chicago at the time and they were like, let's name our team. And I was so insatiable probably annoying. I was probably the little kid improvising with the counselors. And I'm like spitting out 50 names, like the Jackson one, uh, banana pajamas, the bad haircuts, the lazy eyes, the, you know, the flared nostrils, the bulls, the Chicago bulls. It would be funny to call ourselves the Chicago bulls, like just trying to get it going. And no one else was saying anything. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, these people are fake. They suck. Like, but you had that that black and white, almost like an addict. It's like, we're either killing it or we're failing. And then as you go, you realize those people don't see every opportunity to improvise or to create as being their whole identity. It seems like that might've been what you were doing. Like if we bomb, I bombed and I am a bomber. Does that sound yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And it, it took a while to... Uh to lessen that voice, you know, and to, to be like, no, it's not, it's not the end of the world. Did you have mentors? Were there people that you saw doing that, that weren't taking it that harshly or was it just the community as a whole? Uh, I think a lot of it was just like <laughs> failing over and over and, and like 
eventually being like, well, I'm not going to like feeling this bad after every show is like crazy. You know, like it's unsustainable to to take it so personally every single time. And so eventually kind of got over that. I also did uh, one of my teachers, Will Hines. Um, Will. I don't know. If, yeah. So he had a great like blog that he would he would do about improv, mm. which I would read a lot at the time. And it had a lot of kind of thoughts about, you know, like if you're struggling to click with your team, if you're feeling frustrated about this. And and that was also very helpful, just like uh, reading someone else's thoughts who had experienced these same kind of things and being like, oh, OK, that's that's some good perspective on that. Wait, that's great. Wait, that really just brought me back to a time and place when I was taking classes and maybe your teacher had a blog. Like it really, yeah. it made me feel warm and happy to be alive. <laughs> it really did. I was like, very specific oh. era. <laughs> it is. <clears throat> and there's something romantic about it. Obviously not relationally romantic. I just mean like the romance of that time and the simplicity of the time. I mean, I, I think it's really cool. You're on a TV show and, and and you're killing it and it's wonderful. And don't you kind of have a nostalgia for a time when like it was all just sort of like IPAs and and Buffalo Wings and, and feeling really bad that your improv set didn't go well? Yeah, there was. It was it was fun. It was it's like fun. It's one of those versions of being obsessed with something that's like fun um, because you're you know, I was so like. I was like, I want to get better at this. Like improv is the thing. And like, you know, I was, there was a time when I was doing it. Like, so I, I had, I always had a, I had like a nine to five job the whole time I was doing it. Um, like an office job, but like almost every other hour was like taking improv rehearsal or like doing classes mm. or doing shows. And like, there is something like you're saying romantic about that era where you're just like putting in the reps and like you can see they're you're getting better and you can you can feel like benchmarks and be like oh yeah this things are start you start to see the the matrix a little bit like yes uh there is something that i do uh feel nostalgic for about that yeah well you, it is like being in love you're like in love with improv uh, not not to bring us down but that's what my ex-wife said to me she was like you're in love with comedy like you're in here i guess that was a gentle way i guess of saying you're in love with yourself like i was i was in love with mm -hmm. figuring out who i was as a performer and performing um i i have two questions and i think they're tied together when you were low after a show were you sad or were you angry and then that, I think that question will lead potentially into an answer for my second question, which is when, back at this time, not, not Zach 2021, but Zach then, why were you trying to get better? What was your, what was your goal? Did you have a goal? If someone had asked that guy, Zach, why are you trying to get so good at improv? What would he have said? So those are my questions. Um, well, for the first one, I would say I was more more angry like i was like <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was like and this you know this is something 
when I first started, when I first started like auditioning for things, I would feel the same way after like an audition that didn't go great. I would be angry, but also like I want to do it again so I can do better the next time. Yeah. Like I'd be like, man, that sucked. All right, let's do it one more time so I can like figure out what went wrong kind of. Um, why, you know, I think, I think part of it was, I always, I always knew that I wanted to like get into comedy as a career. Like that was, that was something that started, um, in, in the improv, uh, fields of New Jersey and down in the mines <laughs> of tomato patch was the name of the summer camp. Um, I, I kind of always had in the back of my head, like, Oh, that's what I want to do. You know, like I want to perform comedy in some version. And I think I also knew kind of, Oh, like so many comedic actors who I see on things I like came up through UCB. And that's like a way to kind of get into the industry and like get your foot in the door. So that was definitely part of it. But I think it also was just like, that was just the thing I decided, like, I want to be as good at this as I possibly can be. And, and I, and so I don't know, I just kind of like locked in on that. And, and it was, I think that those things are definitely related. Like I knew it eventually was going to go towards giving me opportunities that I wanted to get eventually. But mm. a lot of it was just like, I think I could really be good at this. And like, I just want to try. Yeah. I relate. First of all, I love the, the reason I laughed with joy when you said anger is because I think, if, I think a lot of times that sadness is, is just the top coat over anger, you know, over something a little bit more active, but people not to, not to say everybody feels like I do, but I think a lot of performers will maybe say they were sad and underneath there was really like, like a, a passionate rage, not, not necessarily a bad rage, but like a, God, I want this so bad. Like I, our stories are so similar. It's like, I, I feel like the church leading to the improv and being good at the improv and improv sort of being the opposite of church, meaning it's like, it's rewarded to question and go and, and be cheeky and be expansive and to figure it out instead of like, you know, going backwards and, and seeing what was already figured out. It's all about going forwards and seeing what you can figure out. It can feel sort of beautiful and mysterious in that way. And then once you know that that's what you want to do, getting hyper-focused on it, uh, the thing that came to mind, for me, it was Farley. I'm, I'm curious, who was who your, uh, I'll say, who was your Batman? Like, who did you carry in your heart when maybe you didn't want to do the show or you didn't want to this, this or this, but wanted to keep going. It, it's funny. I always like, I, like I mentioned before, I have a terrible memory. I, I know I like loved and consumed comedy and like would watch a lot of stuff, but I can't remember like specific, even shows or, or people that I, that were like my things kind of, mm. I just, mm. I, I just, was I was drawn to the comedy of everything. So like whatever the funny part of this or the funny thing of that, like I, I, I don't really have 
I don't know if I really had like a a Batman who I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do, kind of. I this may sound insincere. I relate really hard <laughs> to that because Farley was someone I went, okay, what did he do? And he went, he was in Madison, so he went to Chicago. So I was like, I'll go to Chicago in the same way that you were like, what did so many people do? Well, they went to UCB. I, I don't know why. I, I think I was scared of New York. So I, I preferred to go uh, to Chicago. Felt like the purest improv city for some reason. Uh, I mean, for obvious reasons, it, it's where it started. But I always, and still to this day, sometimes feel left out when people have intense fandom for things. Mm-hmm. Other than The Simpsons, which I absolutely had an intense fandom. But I wasn't trying to be Matt Groening, and I wasn't trying to be Dan Castellaneta or anything. I, I was just, it was just that it was good, effective comedy. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, I was most interested in my own comedy. And I still am. <laughs> like, Val will tell you, if you want to make me laugh, quote me to me. Like, I guess I could be embarrassed or I could say, I've done a good job excavating what is funny to me. Wouldn't uh-huh. it be absurd if you said something, especially if it's something I forgot that I said, that, that really helps. But if she says something to me and I forgot I said it, I said it 10 years ago about pickles and I laugh, that's good. That means I'm I'm going deep enough to find the shit that's actually funny, not to me, not just what I think might be funny to you. Um, and maybe that sounds arrogant or grotesque, but I actually think there's something right about that in the way that, it, look, let, take me out of it. I, I feel like we might be the same in that way. Uh, Bob Dylan or, or you know, th- those guys, I can, they said shit like that all the time. They're just like, I only, I only care about what I'm making. You know what I mean? They weren't like, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't see a lot of interviews with Bob Dylan where he was like, I know he loved Woody Guthrie. I'm just saying like, they liked making something new. They were in it yeah. to find something in themselves. You know, I think, I think there's some of that, like it, it makes sense that like, Obviously, what you think is the funniest is what you think is the funniest, or you or you're being think fake it was as hell. Funny. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. like, I, I, that makes sense. I think, I think for me, it's just that I think some of it is also that I, I kind of, I kind of hold things loosely in the sense that, like, there may have been a time, like, I bet if you asked my parents, they'd be like, no, you watched this one movie a hundred times. Like, they might know that I was <laughs> obsessed with a particular thing, but I don't necessarily like when I, I don't necessarily kind of like remember that era or whatever. Yes. So I, I think there probably were a lot of things that I was like super, super into, but I don't, um, I don't like, I keep the the essence of them with me or whatever, but I don't necessarily remember the, the specific. Okay. This is great. Ones. I I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm just super excited. It's like, I think there's something we're learning something about you that I think is informative. You keep talking about how you don't have a good memory and you like things in their generalities. I think there's something meaning I I don't just like Steve Martin. I like comedy or I don't just like the Simpsons. I like comedy. Um, I think there's something about your performance style and a good improviser. That's just, 
as I like to say, the needle is on the record. It's just playing the note that it's playing. Just do what you're doing without getting too locked up in like, is this Kafka-esque or something? Like, just like, mm -hmm. just like take it all in, blend it all up in your belly, filter it through Zach, and it will come out differently, right? Yeah, I do. Th I do think that's what it is, because I do. I do like I still watch a lot of comedy and, you know, like I I do kind of try and take it all in. But but yeah, I think that uh, that sounds right, <laughs> especially I mean, I, where I, I, blend, it, where it, I yeah. blend it up in my belly, <laughs> blend it in your belly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like we all consume different things, but we all process them differently. Like you and I can watch the same episode of something and we'll take different things from it. And then when I express it, it'll just be different. So what I'm saying is there's this Bill Hicks quote where he's like, the more you're being yourself, the more original you'll be. And then you'll have supply and demand covered. And that is certainly what stood out when we cast you. Um, and when we were like, well, we have to have this guy back was you weren't doing somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> I know that sounds really obvious, but like a lot of times you're acting with somebody and you're like, oh, th th this is great, but this is Jack McBrayer or this is great, but this is Joan Rivers. This person's great, but it's fill in the blank with anybody. And when you're talking to somebody who's consuming it, but not letting it cloud his performance, I think you get the best of both. Like you're not head in the sand oblivious to what's happening in comedy but you're also not like building a bomb out of pieces of other bombs <laughs> to like trick me into thinking you're talented you're just kind of getting out of your own way does that make sense yeah I, and i think i think that is kind of my approach to improv and like doing so much improv has kind of like led to that because that that is kind of how you in an improv scene you kind of just have to take in all the information and then filter it through your perspective and and then what you think is funny comes out of it so i do think that's kind of how i try to to do it but i don't yeah. know more i know even talking about it is is uh tricky because i don't want you to start thinking that that's what you do although you've been doing it long enough that i don't think you have to be superstitious um tell me a little bit about the tr the transition from the improving to getting good at auditioning because that is such a, I mean, I, I still submit tapes to things and I'm still kind of like, isn't it funny? I've had a couple shows and I'm still sort of like, how do you, you know what I tell myself before I do a scene, I go, cause often I won't get a part and then I'll watch the show. And then I'm like, I could have done that. Like mm -hmm. now that I see it, like it's so easy but like when you're auditioning, it's really hard to go like, I know what won't look stupid yeah. surrounded by a show that has its own tone that you haven't seen. Um, yeah. But but what what is your approach? Uh, I think it's it's kind of similar to something you were saying of like, I I kind of just do what I think is is funny or is like the interesting version to me. And sometimes I know like this probably isn't what they want, like, but it's what I want to do. And so like, 
if what I want to do and what they want lines up, then that's great. And then I'll get to do it. Um, But other times, you know, maybe like there, there are times where when, when we used to still go in person to audition where I would go into an audition and do like my version of what I wanted to do. And the casting director would, would sometimes literally be like, okay, what are you doing? <laughs> like, like, no. why, like, why are you doing that? Um, and I would be Wait, like, oh, you cause... have to tell me, what do you mean? Like you couldn't have just been doing your normal thing. You took like a big swing. I take big swings constantly. <laughs> really? Um, tell me, what's a big swing look like? A voice or like a limp or like what's going well, on? No, not usually, not usually a limp. <laughs> um, <laughs> not always. But, but I mean, I think even, it, even in my crashing audition, like, you know, uh, I think like my, my willingness to do almost nothing was sort of a big swing. Like, you know, I, yes. I, yes, I was extremely like kind of deliberate and slow and, um, and I don't know what the casting process was like, but I often, I often find myself getting cast in things where like, I'll hear f- from other people who auditioned and it's like, oh, I'm n- absolutely not what they were like originally looking for. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of end up being like, they're like, oh, that's not what we were looking for, but it's it's interesting or whatever. So, so we'll do it. And I'm sure there are, are an equal number of things where they go, that's not what we were looking for, and there's no chance we want it anywhere near our our project or whatever. Um, I I love it though. I mean, you're the kid in summer camp still. <laughs> I mean, like you're just going with your natural instinct a little bit. And I mean, there are definitely times where it. I try and like where I try and do what I think they might want, but I find I don't, I don't really usually get those roles anyway. So it's like, okay, well I might as well kind of just do what I think. And then hopefully they, they line up. Well, that sounds to me like comedy. It's like failing on your own terms is one of a huge tips for pursuing any creative or otherwise endeavor is you're like, look, I'm going to fail a lot. So the only thing I can really do is add a, a steering wheel to the failure. So at least I can. I'm in charge. Go, uh, I failed. Well, that I mean, I think Mark Maron said it. It's like I got into comedy to not stop people from laughing at me, but control why they were laughing at me. Yeah. And it's like I sometimes do auditions as well where I'm like, look, this will either be. I always think of Gareth in The Office. Remember, uh, he he plays the part that was played by um, Rain Wilson on The American mm-hmm. Office. It was supposed to be like a 350-pound muscle-bound guy, and he mm-hmm. couldn't be more the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I love those stories. What was it like for, for Severance? Because I've gotten parts, and it, first of all, to me, I'm assuming by the time you got it, you knew it was going to be Ben Stiller. It was probably Adam Scott, John Turturro. Mm-hmm. These people are probably already attached. They they get these names in the mix uh, and they start looking for those uh, the other roles. So there's like a certain heart elevation to reading that. And it's on mm-hmm. Apple, um, which is like cool. You know, it's like, a, it's, oh, this is mm-hmm. cool. It's, it's, it's this new thing. And, they're going to launch all these great shows. They're probably going to promote them. And it's, it's exciting. Um, 
then you get the script and I remember auditioning for certain things where I'm just reading it and I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck they're talking about. And like severance, the point is we don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You know, you're clicking numbers, you're getting finger traps, you're in an office, uh, you don't know anything about your life. And there might be a temptation to do it like a zombie or do it mm-hmm. like, like, what is the tone? Is it Tim Burton? Am I like, good morning, Daniel? Is it like that? But like, you couldn't know. It's like another one of those situations. I can watch the pilot of Severance and go, I could do that. But could I do it from looking at it on a page, guessing, interpreting, making a choice, putting it on tape? I'm, I don't think so. But you did. So what was that process like? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't remember, I don't remember if I read the whole script, like the whole pilot before I auditioned. I probably did. I think I did. So I, I kind of had a, a little bit of a vibe on it in terms of like, I knew it was, you know, this kind of odd world and like definitely a creepy vibe, but also there was a lot of comedy in it. Um, And I also think like the character specifically that I play is a character that I, uh, it's like we were talking with crashing this sort of like high status, low status character is something that, that, that I am very comfortable with in terms of like a guy who, if you look at the facts of his life should not, have uh a lot of confidence you know it's like you know it's it's a it's someone who is in on severance it's like a guy who knows nothing about his life who literally just sits in a chair all day and and looks at numbers but he believes he's like the greatest to ever do it so which again sorry to interrupt but that is so familiar to me and it's it's pretty tragic um and the show has that tragic feel Meaning the implications of the potential of human delusion of the show are really profound. And your character assuming that his Audi is awesome is really kind of disturbing. It, it, it To me, it speaks to how we all, and I'm including myself in this, lie to ourselves, kind of memento style. And if the alternative is like depression and maybe even insanity or, or, or just wanting to give up despondency, you will just go like, no, you know, look at the suit. I mean, clearly I'm loving life or whatever it is. Uh-huh. You know, like, I, I don't even remember what you said, but you said something about your Audi that like, couldn't, you couldn't even know is true. And I think someone even calls you out on it, but that's the choice you're making to keep yeah. yourself sane in an episode of Black Mirror, essentially, you know, like. right? And I think to this character, some of it is like, well, he kind of assumes he'll never know the answers, so like it doesn't matter. Like he can tell any story he wants because because it doesn't matter, you know. And I, I think I do think one reason I I kind of relate to the like high status, low status people is a little bit, you know, kind of like what we were talking about of like questioning things of like, well, why, like, why can't this person be high status? Like, because they, 
you know what I mean? Like the yeah. things, the things about their life that other people think should make them low status. I'm kind of like, who gives a shit? Like, what does that mean? You know, like, That's why great. not just like think, you know, you know, like you're, you can be as confident as anyone. It doesn't really matter. So I, it's, I do uh, think I relate to that. It's you're, and we're back at church. It's Leonardo DiCaprio on the Titanic at the high status table being like, I, uh, I get to go wherever I want and do whatever I, and, and look, I ended up on this boat with you fine people. Like yeah. that, that reversal of like, you pity me, but actually I pity you is always not only funny, but it's actually delightful. Anyone that listens to this podcast knows I'm going to say Charlie Chaplin too. Charlie Chaplin is the, he's homeless. He's unhoused. The tramp is unhoused. And yet he is the most, he's the luckiest and he's the most dynamic and he's the most interesting and he's having the most fun out of all the successful people that are walking around and their heels, they're, they're in their suits and they have their jobs and but they're miserable. It, we love that as human beings. We love seeing somebody that should, and your character is fun for that reason. You should be going like, I'm in a nightmare. I never leave my job. And instead you're going, I have more finger traps than anybody or whatever it might be. Is a fun. Uh, it's a fun choice human psyches can make. Yeah, and I and I think it makes sense as a choice in this context. It's like, why not? You know, it does you don't know yeah. anything else? So, you know. well, that's why it's extra disturbing. No spoiler, but when more is revealed about your character, um, I I was surprised. Not surprised. I was surprised by the show. Uh, at how emotional I I felt when that thing was revealed about your character. Basically, without spoiling anything, you learn something about your life that makes it harder for you to just keep working in a in a like a never ending loop of I never get to leave. And you're like, oh, geez, like you suddenly immediately feel as I think your character is. You feel the stakes. Like it's not just. It, it was like a wake up call and that happens. It was like a near death experience, meaning mm -hmm. sometimes you have those people um, that are just like, whatever, I, I'm uh, I'm a lifer at the carnival selling balloons. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying you're fine with it. And then something happens and you realize like, wait, I, I need to, I've always wanted to this, this or that. And uh, you got to do it now. It's, it's, it's really, really cool. Okay, so you were telling me you read the script, you under you understand the the com the confident guy who might be to others low status, and then what was the process? You just taped it, and then you got it, or you taped it and you had meetings, or what? Uh, I I taped it, and then I got I got like a callback where I was I remember at the time I was working on uh, the last OG Tracy Morgan show. Yeah. And I, I was like shooting, but then I had this callback on the day I was shooting, but they worked it out so I could like go. So I was going right from set. Like I got, got to leave early to like go. Cause I knew, I knew I was going to be auditioning like for Ben Stiller, um, which, you know, is uh, uh, a thing, you know, you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. He's going to be there in the room. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I remember going like right from set, uh, to the audition and it was him and and dan the the creator of the show 
Um, and it was very like uh, it was it was pretty casual in a way that was nice. Like we it wasn't just like walk in, do the audition and leave. Like we talked about some stuff and, uh, you know, chatted about, I don't know, <laughs> me being from New Jersey or something, whatever. Is that what it was? I think I probably brought that up. I don't know. Um, yeah. In my head, I was going like, oh, okay, here we are. Ben Stiller is in the room and, um, <laughs> and I'm auditioning for this. Uh, and I think at the time, I think I knew Adam was attached, but I didn't know. I don't think I knew John Turturro was doing it. And I, I don't think I knew. I think I knew Patricia Arquette was attached, but I, I don't think I knew Christopher Walken was involved. Um, but I just, you know, kind of did the scene and, and left uh, feeling good, but sometimes you leave feeling good and you never that's actually the, that person yeah, that's, again. Sometimes it's suspicious. You're like, wait, I shouldn't feel this good, but sometimes yeah. it's good to feel really good. Uh, okay. And, and that was it. So you did an in-person. Yes. And then it took a while, but I, I remember feeling like, I remember feeling like, come on, like it's gotta be me. Like I, I remember feeling like, it felt like it went so yes. good. Like, yes. But then I did know that sometimes that doesn't mean anything, but yeah. And I, t- I think it took a few months for, for it to, uh, come true. Uh, yeah. But then, um, then I like, I actually like, I, I actually, before I like officially got the part, I like ran into one of the producers in a restaurant and they like said, hi. And, uh, at that point I was like, okay, now it's gotta be true. Like it would right. be so, it would be so tough to like have that happen and then find out like, uh, oh, we're going another way or whatever. Oh, that's a um, lovely little moment. I love that. Yeah. But, and it, and it, and it can take months. Where were you when you got the call? Uh, I don't, I don't remember. That's I no okay. Idea. I'm, in, I, I'm embarrassed that I put you on the spot with that. I was one. probably right here, honestly. I was probably sitting in my. It's living. probably somewhere somewhere unremarkable to you. Yeah. Uh, okay. Two two fan questions, and then we'll get to the meaning of life. However long or short that is, it doesn't matter. Uh, meaning we don't have to figure it out. I won't burden us with figuring out what life is. Um, <laughs> but one, the set, and I know I sort of sound like a, a rube uh, or a noob or some sort of oob, maybe a boob. <laughs> is it just? It's on a soundstage. Forgive just a straight fan question. How much of it is up? How much of the set is like built? Can you like walk around the halls? Like if I came to visit the set, which I would love to, I, I, it won't happen. I'm just saying if I did. Well, you have would it, COVID. So you're I know I do have COVID right now. <laughs> I currently have COVID-19. You have to say 19. People need to know right, sorry, that 19. I have the latest one. Um, I just wanted to see what the buzz was about. Uh, you walk, like if I came, would it be like, I could be in your area and then I could walk to O and D or is it more piecemeal? I, uh, I'm sure it's piecemeal, but I want to believe it like exists. Like the place exists. Lumen exists. A, a lot <laughs> of it does. A lot of it does exist. Like our, our big room, the, the, uh, MDR room very much exists and like the little kitchenette is right there and the the supply Mm. closet is right there and that's all like fully there and built out and then in that part of the soundstage 
there are also just like a lot of hallways that aren't necessarily connected in like there were there were hallways with removable walls so sometimes you would be walking you'd walk onto the stage and turn left to get to the mdr office set but then other times they would put up a wall there and you had to go around the other way so like it was kind of like a labyrinth like a shifting like (laughs) ever-changing little set of hallways and then the the other stuff like um miss cobell's office was not in that exact area but it also existed in an area with a bunch of those kind of blank hallways um O and D was on it was at a different location, but a, a lot of it is kind of just there and and built out, and you can walk around and and feel it. And is there a ceiling? Yeah, really low ceiling. Like I know, yeah, I didn't know if they sometimes dark. took that out for the lights or or if it was really there because it just looks so real. Yeah, I have this. I have the same feeling with Mad Men. I'm like, this is just a real place, and and I actually think that's. Uh, a fine compliment to the show is you're like, this has to be a real place. Cause it feels so real to me. It was, um, it was pretty real. You could feel the strange vibes while you're there. Absolutely. Uh, okay. This second of three fan questions. Uh, are those computers you're using? Are those built by the prop department to look like computers from the eighties or are they computers from the eighties that have been refurbished? I don't a hundred percent know. I think they are. I think they are from. I think they are what they look like, and they did have. They like. They had an actual program on them where you could, like, scroll around and select numbers and put them in the buckets and stuff. So I would spend a lot of time doing that, <laughs> just Whoa. like idly being like, okay, let me zoom in and zoom out and collect this three, four, five. And like, <laughs> so they did, they did I, build some like real program for that. So it was a working computer. That's great. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you put that stuff in afterwards, I don't know, it's little details like that, that, that can make it feel more like a world. And then they, they did have to constantly tell me to stop typing during the scenes because I was so like enthralled with this meaningless game that like, They'd be doing a close-up of Adam, and I'm not even on camera, and I'm there, and you hear just like <laughs> they had to, oh they had to God. be like, they'd be like, "Hey Zach, maybe maybe only for when you're on, can you like, can you do that?" I love that so hard. Um, forgive, sort of. I just want to know. I mean, you did scenes with John Turturro. And Christopher Walken, obviously, everybody on the set is incredible. Uh, I, I've, I've, uh, what is the word? This is this is what COVID is. I can't find words sometimes. I've uh, used it restraint to not bother. Yep, there's a better word for it though, Zach. There's like I employed exercise. I exercised restraint. Uh, I often forget exercise. <laughs> um, I, I haven't bothered Adam. That's telling him how great he is, but he's incredible in it. Patricia Arquette, obviously incredible. But there's something about Christopher Walken specifically where I'm like, oh, shit. This is like, this is like a really a living legend who looks great, by the way. Like, 
I I mean, there's shots of his hands, and I'm like, why do his hands look great? Even if he doesn't have like old man hands, uh, and and his face and his hair, I'm like, what is going on? I'm totally buying this uh, Christopher Walken love connection because I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> do you have? I always want to know what people like that are eating. I want to know what they were like in between takes, engaged, fun, funny, light. What You can use any of the people I just mentioned. What was the vibe like in between takes? Uh, on such a weird show, I have to think you have to counterbalance it with some levity. Yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely mostly fun. It was also, especially when we started, very strange because we started, you know, like, we were originally supposed to start shooting, I think, in March of 2020, and then COVID nineteen. Why? Why, why didn't you? <laughs> as you're familiar with, yeah, um, happened and shut it down until like, I think maybe November. So, so when we came back, it was like everyone had masks and also like a a face shield that you wore like a dog collar, like. It, yeah. You put it on, you know, like came up the in cone. front and right the cone and it so it was initially kind of hard to you know connect and you know as soon as we were done shooting masks back on, shields back on and often kind of people returning to their little areas but um once once they kind of had the you know protocols down and and also as people started to get vaccinated as you know later on it it became less uh, scary. So um, there was a little more uh, levity, but it was, it was cool. I mean, the, the coolest thing about, or one of the many cool things, especially when, when John Turturro and Christopher Walken were there on the same day was just like watching them in between takes because they were having so much fun and like cracking each other up. <laughs> and also they have between them worked with like everyone you know, so like just hearing them talk about like, oh, yeah, on this, you know, thing in in 82, you know, we worked with this guy and we worked with this lady and just hearing all of the like kind of collective memory of of the industry through them yeah. was was pretty amazing. Yeah, the oral history of Hollywood, according to John Turturro and Christopher Walken, as heard by Zach Cherry on the set yeah. of season one of Severance. Of two question mark. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't want to put I, I that's me uh begging for more seasons, not Zach. And me Zach is too. a chill. I'm also begging. I, no, I know you're into it, but uh please I don't know. I don't want anyone to think you're I don't know. I don't know what I'm afraid of there. Uh okay. What, whatever Pete is worried about implying is true. Whatever you're <laughs> <laughs> you just did your improv thing. Yeah. The rule was I just one time I heard a story, a showbiz story about somebody flapping their gums. It was specifically about wanting a bigger part on the show they were on. And then they got written off. Yeah. And, and then that that person worried that it was because they flapped right. their gums. So since then, I've been very cautious with my guests to be like, this is all gratitude. We're fans. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah, that's yeah. the instinct that I'm acting on there. But that is a paranoia that you do not need to share. Um, all right. What did they eat? What did Christopher Walken eat? 
well again because of covid there we weren't ever see. eating on set you couldn't eat on set so it was like there were designated eating areas and for us that was in our room in our you know dressing rooms so. oh, what a bummer see i want to know what, uh hopefully ben stiller is going to do the show I'm, i've been trying to get him on for a long time and i i just I, i'd love to know what ben stiller is eating because that dude's I mean, incredibly healthy, but also just like an interesting person. I'm sure it's something interesting. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember seeing him eating. My, I, the 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 fun. My favorite, like, kind of in between scenes moment was with him. Was I'm pretty sure the Knicks were in the playoffs uh, that season. They like had made it to the playoffs for the first time in a long time, and hi, him and John Turturro are both huge Knicks fans, and we were shooting late into the night on a day during their playoff games. And he had his phone with the game, like next to the monitor. <laughs> like, oh my because God. He had to like check in, you know, in between takes, it would be like, okay, let me see what's going on with the Knicks. And then like back to, back to the show. That is, I, I, there's even, maybe you relate to this because going back to our, our generality, I, there's just not much I have in my life. Uh, even the TV shows that I love, like I don't have shows where I'm like, if, like, if, like, if, uh, a good example is if I'm watching, um, Severance and I love it and Val comes in to talk to me, there's no show where I'm like, shut up. <laughs> like, like, I can't, I can't right now. This is it. Like I, and I sort of have an envy for people that are like, I gotta see the game. Cause I know that that feels good to have that level of passion. Yeah. And actually it's funny in terms of generalities, like I love basketball, but I don't have a team that I really like root for. That's I just hilarious. watch it all. And, and John Turturro grew up in New York. And also like, I think, I think my version of watching it is a little bit of a, it might be a little bit of a generational thing where like, because now you can watch any game of any team, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. you have more access to it. But he would always be like confused by the fact that I was just a fan of the <laughs> NBA, <laughs> like ah! not a specific team. And I and I'm also I kind of follow players, so like I I'm a big LeBron fan. So wherever he is, I'm always I would like to see him succeed. And and John would always be like, I don't understand that. I just don't. I don't get of it. Of course he. Yeah. Why would he? I, I mean. I don't know, watching my dad go from a Red Sox fan to a Red Sox fan who also likes the Yankees <laughs> was even confusing to me because to me, sports still is 1931. And it's like, you like the Knickerbockers because you're from Broadway and East 3rd Street and that's who you root for, whatever it is. Like, it, it's a tribal and a cultural identity. And I didn't even like it when my dad... Why does he have a Yankees hat that he wears? Like it's disturbing to me. <laughs> I'm I'm pro that. I think everyone should have one hat of every team and rotate. You them. you're that guy that wears the hat that has every logo Just on it. NFL like like when Rob Lowe wore that <laughs> NFL hat at a game. <laughs> he did. Yeah, there's a picture of him. That's like a big meme. I get, but it's he went he attended some game and he just has a hat that says NFL. <laughs> that is comedy yeah. yeah that's that's really great okay real quick before i go into a covid uh coma uh, -huh. uh jk i actually feel great i i'm, I'm loving that's talking to you and it's giving me life 
I also, we were taking care of a three-year-old who also, uh, we, the whole family had COVID. We, we just wanted to do something as a family. And uh, so like to get a break to just laugh and talk with you for a couple hours is awesome. And I've really enjoyed it. Because having COVID is one thing. Having COVID while taking care of a baby is, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a sandwich on a sandwich. If you know what yeah. I mean? Like uh, we don't need two on. sandwiches. A lot going on. So this has been great. Um like I said earlier, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this. I know we were both raised religious. We both sort of turned away from the fundamentalist uh, or, or the literal religion um, of it all. Do you have any sense of, and to really put a, a fine point on it, uh, the the knowing of existence, the the experience, like experiences being experienced right now, um, and that is a miracle, no matter how you look at it. Uh, do you have any framework for that? It can be the, the, the nothing framework. It can be whatever framework you want. I'm just curious if you have any container and all containers are, you know, inadequate in the long run, but that you attempt to put the mystery of life into. You know, it's funny because when I, when I first started, like, you know, questioning and not fully buying into like my parents' version of of religion, it was like a it was like a big crisis for me. It was like, oh no, like you know, because you grow up thinking like you do this, this, and this, and then you go to heaven and blah blah blah, and then you start being like, wait, but if that's not true, like what is it? And I and I used to like obsess over like figuring out the answer. I would just like sit in my room and think like, okay, but if free will, like <laughs> if I don't have free will and I, I was like, I have to be the one to solve this. Like I, I got to figure it out, you know? And then eventually I, I got to a point kind of, kind of like with my, you know, learning to let go of every improv show. I got to a point where I was like, well, I don't really have to figure it out. And I'm probably not going to be the guy to do it. Like mm. I'm not going to be like the Martin Luther of, of 20, 2020. I'm not going to have this big <laughs> religious epiphany or whatever. So now I kind of just, I'm like, you know, it doesn't, I don't really need to, I don't really need to like figure anything specific out because in a lot of ways it doesn't like impact my day to day. Like that was something I also kind of realized like, as I stopped going to church and, and believing kind of, you know, the specifics behind those things, it didn't really have like a huge impact on my day to day. So now I'm kind of like, I don't know, but I don't really, it doesn't really, I don't need to. It's interesting. The implications to severance, obviously it's sort of not a great thing potentially that your character is like, I don't know because you're being exploited. You know? mm -hmm. um, but there's sort of the sort of healthy version or the way that's, that that's working for you is to not get bogged down in, in feeling like you need to figure it out because you're not being exploited. You are experiencing at least the sensation of free will and going about and living your life and having joy and having love and connection and all these things. And whether or not you have the answer or whether or not the answer is possible to have or articulate uh, doesn't, I understand what you're saying. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. 
<laughs> but you don't have, and I'm hoping the answer is you do, that you don't, and it doesn't sound like you do. You don't have a fear that you're wrong. I think you and I grew up going like, we better not be wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, have you done an okay job shedding that and being like, look, those were just grownups trying to tell me what they thought they maybe thought they knew and nobody knows? I mean, I I think <laughs> it's sort of a similar thing of like, well, I don't have a, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> And then maybe I maybe hell maybe I go to hell, but then it's like, all right, well then I'm in hell. <laughs> you know, like what am I gonna do about it now? You know, like well, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. If Literally, I, you'll cross that river when you come to it. Yeah. The river sticks. Uh, that, <laughs> that is so funny. Um, I hear you, and there's a there's a there's a calm, almost zen practicality to it. And there, and I'm not surprised that you're just kind of taking it all and focusing it into into the moment, and not overstressing it, which just seems to be your style for everything, and it seems to be working. A learned, when it comes to learned style, but yeah, I try to I try to approach it that way. And then, if I asked you if you believed in God today, or God being a symbol for something, an awareness, what? Here's how I like to define God is. Is our being, the being that you and I are sharing, reduced to its smallest indivisible essence would be what we use the metaphor for God. So you are alive, you are, your heart is beating, your, your lungs are breathing, your, your thoughts are thinking, and you are conscious. And if we strip that consciousness down to the smallest piece, uh, we would call that God. Like it can't, it was never born, it never died can't be divided. Um, do you believe in that? Or are you more like, no, when Zach, do you believe in life after death? Not, not necessarily, but, but I also like, I kind of, am like, it doesn't really matter to me you in this moment, fun. you know, like you are fun. I think I also, I will say, I think a lot of it to me is like, you know, especially having grown up in, in the church. Uh, and I think if it's useful to you, great. And, and, you know, all, all that kind of thing. So I'm not, I'm not closing the door on, there may be a time in my life where like, I go like, Oh, I do kind of need to, you know, think about it in a different way. And that becomes a useful framework for me. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm not, uh, closed off to that you know that that may happen but currently i'm kind of like eh, you know i don't doesn't doesn't super affect my day-to-day so i get you how old are you i am 34 34 i would say yeah <laughs> you, you can see something no. coming down the coming no down the no 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 I see, I mean, you're, you're a young man and I do see a potential, it could go either way. And what is so great, not that you need my validation, what is so great is there's no, there's no fear. We don't, I, I, it would make me so sad if you were saying yes to something that you didn't really believe because you were afraid or saying no to something because you were afraid. What I see is flow and openness. And that's, that's as good as you can get. I mean, that's, 
that's all you need. willingness and pay, and time is all is all that is asked of any of us. So I think that's really, really great for what it's worth from me. Um, well, that's great, man. Here's the here's the final. Oh, and I did want to say there was a Buddha quote that you made me think of. Someone asked Buddha, I believe it was what happens after we die. And a lot, 99% of Buddha quotes are not actual Buddha quotes. Um, But in this real or not real one, Buddha is purported to have said, what business is that of yours? And that, that seems very in your, in your range right now. I love that. Yeah. Right. Well, the story continues where he says, it's like someone shot you with an arrow from the woods and you're worried who shot you with an arrow i'm trying to help you get the arrow out of your leg (laughs) like he's like you're jumping ahead like the problem is you're in life and you need to figure out how to live and you need to figure out how to not suffer and then maybe later and this is what i hear you saying maybe later i'll i'll find out who shot me with this arrow but right now Let's accept the help of those who want to help me with my arrow wound and let me help other people with their arrow wounds. Let's put on a show. Let's have some laughs. Let's be kind to one another. But let's not get overly, let's not lose ourselves by running into the woods after who knows who it was, you know. And, you know, as any good myth would tell you, you catch the person and it was really you. It's very severance. Right. It was it was just yeah. you from the future that shot you with the arrow. Yes. Yeah. Um, but But I love it. Um, anyway, I, I, I take pleasure in finding ways that, that non-spiritual uh, people, when they say things that remind me of spiritual things, so I can maybe be like, hey, look, you're not even doing it, and you're doing it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, if that has any value for you. The last I, question it is... Does. Oh, I go love, ahead. I love that. I love that. What business is that of yours? Yeah, I love that, that is... That's, it's one of my faves, too. Because we talk about uh, the meaning of life and it gets a little heavy, we always like to end with this question. And I have a feeling I'm going to give you a pass because you said you don't have a good memory. Do not sweat this question. But it is the question I ask everybody. Can you think of a time in your life, and this is important, it does not have to be a good story, when you laughed harder than you had ever laughed before? You Maybe yeah. you were a kid. You got it. Yeah. Yeah, he's got I remember. it. He's got it, folks. I remember distinctly. Now I don't remember which scary movie it was, but it was <laughs> either it was scary movie three or four. Uh, and there was a scene where they were spoofing Million Dollar Baby, where uh, spoiler alert, um, you know, <laughs> at the end of Million Dollar Baby she like gets punched and falls or not at the end in the middle or what at the beginning, maybe she gets punched and falls on a stool that wasn't removed and it. And it, you know, leads to serious injury. And in the scary movie scene, <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> in the scary movie scene, a character is in a boxing ring, gets punched. And then a hand moves the stool in so that it will hit their neck and they break their neck. Then the referee, I think, sees this and like runs over but slips and then they fall and break their neck. <laughs> then then I remember, I think a man in like a vendor in the audience is like throwing, a, he throws a bag of peanuts and it hits, it hits someone in the neck and they break their neck. 
And I remember at the time I was laughing so hard that I, <laughs> I, I couldn't control my legs. Like I ended up stomping my legs up and down to like, <laughs> to try and like ground Let myself it out. in the wow. moment. Wow. Yeah. That, that has always stuck out at me as like one of the hardest times I've ever laughed at anything. I mean, that's it, man. Sometimes we break our necks in boxing rings and then comedy comes in and goes, yeah, I mean, but what if it's, and it takes it, it to just an absurd kept going. extreme. Like everyone in to the help arena us laugh. ended up, yeah, it was uh, something about, I think it was like one of the first times I realized like, oh, you can just do that in a movie. Like you can make the dumbest joke and like mm-hmm. keep making it and then make it again and again and again and again. Yeah. And I was just so tickled by that. Is this, I hope this doesn't sound false. I mean it very sincerely. It sounds like really good improv. Like that sounds like the end of like a really brilliant Herald where someone shares a story and it's a tragedy. And it's like, let's say somebody in the audience shares that story for real, that that's how yeah. their mom died. What do you do? The only move is to go so into the wound that you like a portal of, of absolute clown insanity is the only way to get through that. Like to let, cause we're all, you know, in the final round of the boxing match, we all fall and break our necks on the stool. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So what do we do? And we're back to severance. You can either be paralyzed by the fact that someday you might be paralyzed or you can you can laugh at it and that we're we're actually folding in on ourselves in many reasons we're taking some control back like your audition strategy and you're saying like look this is insane but i'm at least going to laugh at the insanity so there's a lot going on there i really love that answer yeah again you don't need my validation but you have it <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate it i appreciate it <laughs> Well, this was great, man. Like I said in my email, I really do miss specifically doing scenes with you. We cut that scene from the NACA episode, which was so brutal, um, where I'm pretty sure we cut it, or it was very short. I think we cut it, where you and I walked down the hallway. It was like a huge shot. There were tons of background people. We had to sit, because it was NACA, and the whole college is filled with uh, the whole hotel is filled with college students and we're walking over and it's a walk and talk and Rodney, our camera operator had to walk backwards yes, like five times with the, uh, with which, the steady cam, right? With a steady cam, yeah. which was incredible. Um, and then we ended up at a vending machine and we, we used to do this with you all the time. We'd just go like, and Zach, I think your name was Kevin actually. Yes. Yes. It Kevin. was Kevin. And Kevin, even though in the reader it would say Kevin, your 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 slug always said chicken wing, uh, said, and Kevin explains why Pete should eat certain things and not eat other things. Like that's all it said. Uh, yeah, <laughs> something like that. And it was just a real vending machine, and you you were going over them, and you were like, uh, you're gonna want to get some of that because that's sweet, and some of that because it's salty, and then you want some of that because it's umami. And I was like, what is umami? And you went, you eat something, you eat it and you go, umami, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) I died. I died at umami. You know why? It wasn't just that you improvised it. It's that like 
it was an on the spot. You know, they say don't ask questions in improv, but like we were breaking rules and I was like, I bet he has a crazy answer. And you did. And that was Oren Brimmer's episode he was directing. And it yeah, killed yeah. us. It killed us both that we had to edit it out. But that that just came to my mind doing this. But that was whenever it was me and you, I was like, it's going to be fun. We're going to get it. And then we're going to keep going. But it'll be for the joy of it, not because we have to keep going because we don't have it. We'll keep going because we have it and we can just play. So it was awesome working with you on that. And as I said in the email and as I said on the spot, it just makes me so happy when when good and talented people uh, just keep going. So keep going, man. I, I can't wait to see what happens next. Thanks, Pete. It was it was so much fun working with you. Like I said, you I was so spoiled by the experience of that show in so many ways, because like I thought on every show, oh yeah, you just get to kind of like riff and have fun and like, you know, and then and then you know, future shows it wasn't like that. So I yeah, I, yeah. I also uh, treasure those memories. I remember, I remember the scene at the like frozen yogurt place or whatever. Yeah. Uh, pretty distinctly. That was another Cold one Stone. That, that I, yeah. Cold stone that I remember having a lot of, uh, a lot of fun with. Oh um, yeah. That was a trip, man. So much of that is a blur. I, I, I wish there had been a, a chicken wing commentary on the whole show. <laughs> like you should have been in the commentary because it was weird if if it's almost been long enough that I could watch it but like and have a more impartial view I think if I watched it now I would be seeing it for the first time because yeah. when we would edit it I used to sing every shot of memory because every shot I remembered my mood I remember what yeah. I ate I remember what was going wrong I remember what was going right and like, so I've never seen the show really. Like when people are like, I like it. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what they saw because yeah. all I see is like, it's like reading my journal or something. Yeah. But I always love doing it, uh, doing it with you. So thank you for taking the time. Here's to more severance. It's, I'm not just saying this. It's, it's been my favorite show in recent memory. And as I said at the beginning, I really feel like I think people are watching. I think it's a popular show. I, I, I'm not sure how you even gauge that these days. Who knows? But it it it's up there with the greats of TV. So I, I think you did something really special. So be proud. Thanks, man. All right. And would you say we have the show end with um, the guest saying, keep it crispy. I'm going to ask for a special uh, dedication. Would you do it as Kevin Chicken Wing in the lowest energy, keep it crispy? you can possibly muster. Yeah. I need a, you know, I need a moment to get back into that. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen it in so long. I assume. Yeah. No. What what, helped me get, I was just going to say, I remember being outside the comedy cellar and I, I wasn't in the scene. It was you and Jamie. And I came back and I was like, um, I don't want to tell you how to do it, but we love it when you do it with so little energy. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's almost like you have to exhale first. It's like, (sighs) yeah, yeah, maybe it's like, it's like at the end of an exhale is where Kevin seemed to exist. And that, you know, I've got to imagine that I've just been eating something. (laughs) I'm back. Crispy. I guess that's it. That was it. It broke up a little on my end. Katie, did you get it? I can do it again. Oh, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Okay.
<clears throat> Keep it crispy. <laughs> yes. That one was yes! that was more the version where he's trying to give you some advice, you know, taking you under the wing. That the those classic moments. The chicken wing. Yeah. I mean, there there's nothing and, and we were making fun of managers, we were making fun of comedians, we were making fun of comedians that think they're managers, <laughs> comedians that think they're promoters. It was just such a joy to funnel so many feelings into that character. It was great. So Thank you so much, Zach. Congrats on all your success. Glad to see you're doing well. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks, Pete.